As some of you might know, uh, I was interviewed by the Space Junk podcast uh, a couple of years ago, and I predicted that there would eventually be three conversations that we would have, three prophecies, the first being about conspiracy theories and pseudoscience, the second on the Fermi paradox, and the third on settling the solar system. And here is that third interview with me. Uh, before we get into the episode, though, I want to encourage you to go and subscribe to the Space Junk podcast. It's absolutely fantastic. It's led by Dustin Gibson from Oceanside Photo and Telescope and Tony Darnell from Deep Astronomy. And the two carry out a fantastic conversation every week with somebody in either the world of amateur astrophotography, astronomy, uh, or space journalists like me. Anyway, here is the interview and don't forget to subscribe. Should humans go to Mars? And the, and the answer to that question is absolutely, 100%, yesterday, please. But then the second question is like, when will we go and live there? And, and my answer to that is like, never, never. We should never want to go to live on Mars. It seems really difficult for me to just try to predict what the future looks like in terms of us attempting to explore the the galaxy but it doesn't feel like it's going to be us hopping in our spaceship click pressing the warp drive button and arriving at at proxima centauri so what does fraser kane think about going to mars and traveling the galaxy dustin fraser and i dive into these questions and a whole lot more so let's get started Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. That we get episode three. You know, you called this from episode one. Yeah. Was it like a Star Wars kind of thing where you just like, <laughs> what, what was it? <laughs> you started in the middle of the, of the trilogy or the middle of the story and then worked back. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there was like three, like there was like three topics that came up that I, that I had a lot to say on and we realized it was going to be too much to fit in one episode. So we've covered two of them now, uh, the search for aliens and, uh, the moon hoax nonsense. And now uh, I think, uh, it's time to, it's time to talk about the elephant in the room is, uh, when are we going to colonize Mars? Yeah. Which you have so much love for all three of these topics. <laughs> 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 if if by love you mean the amount of time I spend answering them, yeah, yeah, that and black <laughs> holes. But yeah, one of the funniest things, one of the funniest things I think from all of the live streaming we've done was when we were wrapping up a stream and somebody brought up Mars, and you just, you had this look of disgust on your face, and you just said, "Man, Mars is the worst." Mars, <laughs> it really is. Yeah, <laughs> I have just about had it with Mars. So. <laughs> with Mars, yeah, like Mars is going to have to shape up if if it's going to be a yeah. place I'm going to want to call home because right now it sucks. Yeah, it is the topic though, man. It's the yep. hot topic right mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm. Everything comes back to it, even if even if you know you start watching something released from NASA or or anywhere right now, SpaceX. Yeah. It always comes back to. But are we putting humans on Mars and are we yeah. going to live there? Yeah. So, so I'm that's excited two to hear separate your questions. On this. Sure. Well, so I mean, I think I think we need to really clearly distinguish between these two things, right? One is should humans go to Mars? And the and the answer to that question is absolutely 100% yesterday, please. Uh, humans should be setting foot on Mars and they should be walking around and they should be studying that planet to within an inch of its life. There are so many really important scientific mysteries about the universe, about the evolution of the solar system, about the environment of Earth and Mars and how planets go bad uh, that can only be answered by having footprints on Mars. And while we're at it, we need feet on the moon, uh, probably not feet on Venus, but maybe feet in the skies above Venus. Any place that human beings can walk and sit down and answer scientific questions, we should go. Asteroids, comets, deep space, Titan, all of it. We should go to all of those places and we should discover. 
but but I am not. A, but then the second question is like, when will we go and live there? And and my answer to that is like, never, never. We should never want to go to live on Mars, right? Because it's just it is it is just awful by every way that you can measure a good place to live. Mars meets none of that criteria. The uh, like we'll go through it, right? The, the temperature uh, on a you know, do you hate cold days? Well, d- well, well, Mars has got you covered. Uh, Mars, like a really nice day on Mars, it's going to get to ten degrees above Celsius for a couple of hours, but most of the time it's going to be somewhere between minus fifty and a minus a hundred plus on Mars. In other words, colder than the coldest place on Earth, but all the time, no matter what you do. And so, oh yeah, you're in you danger of hypothermia. It sounded like Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there are times when Canada is warmer than Mars, uh, colder than Mars. That's <laughs> happened. Uh, you know, there's we, every yeah. now and then we get that we get that news report that the uh, that the Curiosity rover is now experiencing warmer weather than Canada, and that's fine. You know, uh, that Canada also could be described as a place that's largely inhospitable to human life, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I live on the West Coast, where right. it, all it yeah. does is rain. So we know that the, the temperature is awful. But then, you know, e- even in Antarctica, where the temperature is is horrendously cold, uh, you can walk outside and you can breathe, but you can't do that on Mars. You, the air pressure on Mars is 1% the air pressure that we have here on Earth. So you will instantly... Ex, you know, you will instantly asphyxiate. You go try to try to breathe on Mars. There is no oxygen. All of the at- air will blow out of your lungs, and you will pass out within a minute, and then you'll die. Because, and that's just the natural. That's your natural experience of of attempting to just take a deep breath out on the landscape of Mars and take in the surroundings. Is mm-hmm. is instant death. So, uh, okay. Um, let's say that you do, you know, you obviously are recognize that and you put on your spacesuit and you've got some kind of breathing apparatus all the time. Like, you know, like when's the times like a person like wears a scuba suit, like goes like, I want to do this every day, all the yeah. time, whatever, wherever yeah, never I go. exist without it. Yeah. I always want to be wearing a scuba suit. Right. Right. Um, or you have to be inside. Well, you know where you can be inside anywhere. Right. You can be in you can be inside on Earth. No problem. So, uh, yeah. So then the thing is, is that every moment that you spend out on the surface of Mars, you are experiencing this 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 radiation that's coming from space, this constant radiation. And it's not going to give you any kind of radiation poisoning in the short term, but it's going to increase your risk of cancer and things like that over the long term quite significantly. And so you're going to have to spend every moment. You're going to have to, any time that you go outside unprotected, and by, by unprotected, I mean not having like one meter of rock above your head or water or lead, you know, whatever you want, um, you are going to know that there is this constant radiation that's raining down on your brain all the time, on your, on your body, and that cancers will be the result of that. So, and those are the stuff that's just in the short term, right? The other issue in the long term is this low gravity, which is going to be fun. Like, there's no question. Jumping around in one third gravity is going to be a riot. I can't wait to try that. Until until uh, your muscles atrophy and your bones get weak. Uh, and yeah, your muscles will atrophy, your bones get weak. Gravity. Yeah, and we don't know what the long-term consequences are of this lower gravity on on the human body for the long term. It might be that, yeah, you your body adapts and you just become weak and and fragile to human gravity, but that's fine. You're living on Mars. It's all good. But we don't know what'll happen to say, what if people try to procreate, which people like to try to do. Um, we don't know what's gonna what the cause will be on the human fetus. It could very well be that that fetuses <laughs> will not be viable uh, when they are, they will not develop properly in that low gravity. And so we're going to have to do something to bring that, to increase the gravity. And there's been lots of ideas, like you spend a certain amount of your day on a centrifuge. So to, to deal with the, all of the downsides of living on Mars, you're going to have to live underground in a centrifuge. Every time you leave, you're going to have leave the habitat. You're going to have to be, um, in some kind of spacesuit, ideally with some sort of radiation protection that is above your head to, to minimize the long-term effect of radiation. And the, the reality is that most of the time, you're just going to spend your time in your pressurized bunker underground. And that's not living on bars. That's 
that's just living in a bunker, which you can do in the Arizona desert if you want. Well, and the hilarious argument that people make about this is that, well, we need to go to Mars because we're ruining things here on Earth. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, we can ruin things here on Earth and live in a bunker here just mm -hmm. as easily yeah, as we yeah, could yeah. in a bunker on Mars. So it doesn't yeah, really, and, you're not solved anything by, you're just moving your bunker to Mars, making things yeah. infinitely more yeah, bunkers here, you could, you'll still be able to breathe the air. And, yeah. and again, even if you've made the air bad for breathing here on Earth, it's still so much better than than what it would be on Mars. Because, so of, because think, of gravity. You don't because have of gravity, breathe. because of radiation, because of the total lack of atmosphere. Like, sure, if the atmosphere on Earth was filled with with all what you know was all carbon dioxide or some other really awful gas you at least wouldn't want to have to wear a pressure suit you could just walk around in shorts and t-shirt with some kind of respirator on your face to be able to allow you to breathe and enjoy not getting hit by radiation so so you're exactly right tony no matter how bad we could make mars it would still be uh nowhere near as oh sorry no no matter how bad we could make earth it will still be nowhere near as bad as Mars is just from the from the get go. And so I think it's really important that people when they think about, man, I would love to live on Mars. I think it's really important to just investigate those feelings that you have and say, where do these come from? Right. What is the root of this? And I think that it is about discovery. Like we feel that we live here on Earth and every corner of this planet has been mapped with satellites down to the centimeter scale. Um, there is no place you can go that is undiscovered, that is unexplored, that is unconquered, as it were. And yet, we have this drive, I think, as human beings to try to move out to these new places and explore them and homestead them and set up shop and try to eke out a desperate existence far away from human society. And that's what it would be as a desperate existence, because you would be at the mercy of of technology every every second you're there. Yeah. And if anything yeah. goes wrong, you're, you're dead. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's I, and I think I think that it's just there's something romanticized about it that is so disconnected from the reality of it. And and I think you know, there's some, I have some really good friends um, who are absolutely, you know, ready to go. Sign me up. I'm going to go to Mars. And some of them, I think, don't understand what's going to be expected of them. And others do. And for the people who do, I think that's great. Yeah. Do it, right? I will celebrate every achievement that you're able to accomplish. But at the end of the day, we will never find a place that is as wonderful and still as mysterious and open for exploration as the planet that we live on. Right. We've got the ocean still to conquer as well. We haven't really done that but under the ocean, that is. And uh, I mean, it's not even about conquering. It's about discovery, right? right. Like, it, like there are corners around where I live that I've never been. And, and I can walk down a street that I've never been on before. I can go into a restaurant that I've never eaten food at before. I can walk a trail that I've never seen and see the world from a different perspective. If I really do want to, want to have that experience of living off the land, you can live off the land in all kinds of places. For You could do that today. You just yeah. you sell your stuff. You, you know, you buy a telescope company, you move to San Diego, and you mm – -hmm. no, mate, that's a different dream. You um, – <laughs> You know, you can move to uh, like really wonderful, productive parts of the United States, Canada, South America. You can grow all your food. You can you can you can experience that that homestead lifestyle. And I'm sure it's very you know, it's very rewarding. Um, and, it is. And I'm don't living wait. that lifestyle here. I'm doing exactly yeah. Don't wait. Yeah. Get get at get on it right now. Don't wait for Mars. Yeah to fulfill those dreams in your soul that that need for discovery and and to find yourself purpose and to to find your own thorough pond to walk around in in contemplation like just get on it because there's the this this planet has everything that you're hoping for right now well damn it i was really hoping to like disagree with you a lot Fraser, <laughs> but i'm just not and so i mean this yeah, you be clear about why you're doing it, right? If you yeah. want to go to Mars, fine. Go to Mars, live in a habitat, live, you know, live in under the ground or where, you know, in a module, whatever it is, but be clear why you're doing it and know that you're doing it for the sake of discovery and for doing something humans haven't done before. And most importantly, realize the cost 
of what you're doing because it's entirely possible that you can't come back once yeah. you've started. Uh, yeah. Earth may be uninhabitable for you after spending a year or so on Mars. Just be aware of that yeah. and know <laughs> that you may not be able to come back. I mean, it's it's like that experience of going hiking. I don't know if you've ever done like a multi-day hike in the forest. Uh, you know, we do that we do that several times a year here you know, on Vancouver Island. And your whole day, apart from the time that you're spending walking, say you're walking about six hours of the course of the day, the rest of your day is spent just in maintenance of your human existence. That you are it's taking you three times longer to cook food. It's taking you um you have to wash everything up and you have to set up your home for the night and you have to do all these things as maintenance and the the just to get that experience of being that far away from civilization and it's wonderful and it's meaningful and and i love to do it but i'm also really happy to get home at the end of it again and just turn on the television and sit on the couch and open up the fridge and, and order you know, a pizza yeah and order a pizza yeah exactly yeah. right that these things have their place and they have their balance and i think that that for a lot of people again it's just a matter of of deep inquiry and and part of that right now is that it's all about our infrastructure to be able to support that kind of activity. So what seems like an impossible level of constant maintenance and living right at the edge of human survival all the time will become absolutely commonplace. It'd be super easy to do. You want to go live on Mars? No problem. Just hop on the next transport that's going to Mars hop out, you'll be on, you know, and there will be an enormous amount of infrastructure we'll have technology that will make this very feasible and possible. And it will be very easy as well as just to live in space itself. So a lot of this is just about when on the curve, the technology curve, we're standing today. So you see no, I want to be clear, you see no benefit to people living on Mars. That that isn't that isn't in a like a purely it's the same benefit of like why we have people in Antarctica. We have people in Antarctica because it is a it is one of the last true wildernesses on earth. It is an extreme environment that that we need to understand and study. It is a great place for doing both atmospheric research and uh and ast astronomical research. You're doing research into the the ice packs in Andromeda, you're doing climate science. So there's a ton of science to be done. But I think that it doesn't need homesteading in the way that we've had here on Earth. But even yeah, places well, like Antarctica have an infrastructure like that, a, a place that makes it as homey as possible. So sure, you have to support the Mars. science. Yeah. Right. But it's mm -hmm. to support the science. And of course, I agree with you. Like having a moon base on, on the, say, the far side of the moon would be an ident ideal place to do some astronomy. So that would make perfect sense yeah. for someone to live there. And it's in, you know, it's attendant support yeah. systems that would be there. Yeah, and right now there are there there are astronauts that have permanently been inhabiting the International Space Station for more than 20 years now, going around and around and around and doing science. And I love the idea that I can look up into space, watch the International Space Station fly overhead and know that there are human beings out there pushing that boundary of human existence. And I can't wait for the time when I when I look up at the moon and know there's a base up on the moon and that there are scientists up there and astronauts and they're doing important work helping to push human capability and and knowledge. And same thing on Mars. I can't wait until I know that there's a base on Mars and that astronauts are going to and fro Mars and they are searching for life and they are trying to understand the geologic history of Mars and our place in the solar system and in the cosmos, trying to answer the most fundamental question that could possibly be, which is, has life formed multiple times? So again, I think that it, there's, there are enormously valuable times, reasons why humans should be traveling to these places. We should have boots on the ground everywhere they will hold a boot in the solar system. Yeah, I think uh, so. I, I agree with you on some points and disagree on others. Here's here's where I'm at. Sure. So I agree that, you know, the conversation always comes up exactly what you, you led on to in the beginning, which is, well, we need to get to Mars to live because eventually this planet is going to be destroyed by us. And so we need to have a backup plan for that. I think it's easier to change habits than it is to change a planet. Mm -hmm. you know? and yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, even that, though, <laughs> that argument doesn't hold. I mean, like, 
you know, maybe a pandemic, but even a pandemic isn't, you know, you can still escape a pandemic. You can act like you're on Mars here on Earth in, in the case of a pandemic, which which we're seeing, right? And then, of course, if 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 we're trying to avoid the artificial intelligence revolution, the the robots can build rockets and chases chases down to Mars. So so that's not a defense against the the robot apocalypse. So there are there aren't really yeah. any. You know, an environmental collapse, even the worst possible environmental collapse of planet Earth would still be a place that's a thousand times better than Mars could ever be. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I think if each of us look at this situation and when they say, all right, I need to, in my lifetime, change my habits in a way that limits the negative impact that I have on this planet, we could achieve that in a lifetime. But if you say, I need to build an ocean on Mars, <laughs> yeah, and create an atmosphere um, that is, you know, makes it easy for me to live there. It's it's not going to happen, um, and I, I don't think that it makes a lot of sense to tackle that problem for that reason. That yeah. said, I I think that it is very important that we start looking at how do we get out of here. How do we, because mm -hmm. at, at yeah. some point our technology is going to make us realize that. We are more trapped than we ever intended to be, and the only way we're going to do get away from here is to start taking those steps. And to me, it's not important if it's Mars. I don't think that Mars is the first right step. I think the moon is, right? Because I think it's, for one, it's a hell of a lot closer and easier to do, and we can learn a lot of the same things by being there and getting out of the protection of the magnetosphere and all of the things like you're talking about, yeah. all the radiation, all that stuff. We can learn all of that without having to climb the tallest mountain. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a lot more feasible right now, you know, to start doing that. But I do see the appeal for people to step foot on another planet. I mean, mm -hmm. the, probably the biggest event of all time was humans stepping foot on the moon. What about another planet? Yeah, yeah. And I, absolutely, right? Like I think in terms of space tourism, I mean, anybody who wants to should be able to afford – to be able to set foot on the moon and Mars. I want to do that. Absolutely. I want to be on, on the moon. I want to be on Mars. I don't want to live there. You're just there. not buying real estate. <laughs> I'm not buying real estate. I'm not buying my, yeah, that's not where my dream house is going to be. My dream house is going to be here on earth. Um, and, and you're exactly right that, that the purpose of human spaceflight is to get better at human spaceflight. It is a, it is a cycle. That we do human spaceflight to learn how to do human spaceflight better, so that we can learn how to do human spaceflight better, and and we are living in it with a ticking time clock. We probably only have five hundred million to a billion years left of a reasonable environment on Earth before the sun heats up and boils the oceans, and 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 the Earth is made inha uh, you know uninhabitable. And we will hopefully by that time have developed the technology. And if we do that constant iteration and improvement in human spaceflight, then what seemed like it was impossible will become everyday easy, piece of cake, right? Oh, you want to terraform Mars? No problem. Press the terraform button on your on your computer and then boom, you've got another mm -hmm. planet there, right? You want to move Earth to a better place? No problem. We have the technology to do that. And it just today is not that day. We're not, we're not there. We won't be there for, for hundreds of years. We're so finely tuned to being here on Earth that, you know, I just I don't know that we're ever really going to find an ideal place to actually go to other than perhaps do something with our own our own biology that helps us be better at space travel, like you just said. So I think that may be part of one of the things we discover as we become better at being in space and, and to traveling to all these places, we may discover that our humanity is going to change along with it in some way to accommodate this extra quest of, yeah. of leaving the planet and going to other stars. Uh, it's, we're so fine-tuned to just being here on Earth that when you tweak any of these parameters differently, we die <laughs> because we, <laughs> yeah. unless we yeah. compensate in some yeah. way. Yeah, um, that's, so that's imagine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you can imagine some future, right, where where the technology has progressed to the point that it is relatively straightforward for us to create some kind of gigantic rotating space station that produces artificial gravity that has shielding from the radiation that is that we understand how to how a closed environment works that we can produce food dependably uh, and and have a, a pretty cool space station that on its very best day will be the equivalent 
of a good day on earth. That's, that is the, that is the technological dream that you could possibly hope for is that a, that you could mimic earth to an acceptable level in a, you know, in a space-based zero gravity environment. That's, and, and then, yeah, then we're off to the races, right? Then we, then we have an unlimited living space across the solar system. Yeah, there's but, two ways you could go about this. One is that way, where you make mm-hmm. you mimic Earth and go out to the stars, or you do something I think that's a little more practical, which is to try and make yourselves more adaptable to ourselves, humanity more adaptable to where we go, because there's not a single planet out there that, based on what we know about Earth-like exoplanets so far, which is <laughs> incredibly tiny right now, we don't have a lot of data on this, but you know, they're not. They're always going to be some differences from Earth. So if you want to live in one of these places, assuming, of course, we can actually get there, completely different question, but let's say we get there somehow uh, and set up and set up shop, you know, we're going to, I think we're, you're not going to have earth anymore and it won't be perfectly mimicked. So to really live among the stars, to live and colonize the galaxy, we're going to need to, I think, make some, learn to make some changes to us somehow. Yeah. But I mean, I think that we're already seeing the the rapid pace of those changes to us that are that are coming. We see the rise of Neuralink, what Elon Musk and team are planning to do to be able to allow us to tap directly into computers with our brain. We're seeing the rise of artificial intelligence. We're seeing the rise of things like CRISPR. Um, there's this concept in science fiction, this idea of the technological singularity, that that we don't know what the future looks like 10 years from now. 20 years from now is is completely over the horizon in terms of just like what will the future look like um, in, as the technology continues to accelerate, as artificial intelligence digs in more and more into our day, day-to-day existence. It seems really difficult for me to just try to predict what the future looks like in terms of us attempting to explore the the galaxy, but it doesn't feel like it's going to be us hopping in our spaceship we click pressing the warp drive button and arriving at at Proxima Centauri. It it feels like we'll be sending gigantic uh, robotic spacecraft that have gene factories on board that that land on other worlds and and populate them with Earth life. Or uh, you know what I mean? Like it's just it just seems really like we look at. At the, at, we have these historical examples of what the exploration looked like of people hopping in their ships and sailing around the world and then try to adapt that to space. But it is not a is not the same thing. It's not the same kind of scale. And and that model that we have in our mind of what it's going to look like isn't correct. We don't know what it will be, but we but we can feel pretty safe to know that that's not what it's not going to be hopping your spaceship, turn on the warp drive across the universe. Yeah. And I, I wonder if people really think through this idea of not being able to come back. And I mean, I alluded to, I alluded to it briefly with Mars, you know, we're, because of whatever may change while we're living there, we may not be able to survive very well on earth and, and come back. Imagine going to Proxima Centauri B four and a half light years away. You're not coming back. You're just not. And I think that people are not appreciating that enough that what that actually means yeah. and i think it will be a real detriment to people wanting to travel among the stars two ways i see you can do it with present technology either you build a generation ship in which case the first and second or third or however many generations it takes to get there are not coming back and they have to be and they have to be invested in the, in the mission uh, for yeah. it to succeed and that's a big question mark or yeah. we do some kind of suspended animation we turn everybody off for a few however long it takes to get there whatever percentage of the speed of light we managed to get to and activate ourselves. Or like you said, build the selves, build people from genes when you get there and uh, go from there. But either way, you're not coming back and you're hunting. And and are you still human? I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think it's a cooler thing for people to talk about than to actually do. I think right now, if you ask the world, Hey, who would actually go? If you know, you're not coming back, you'd have so many people with a no fear sticker on their bumper of their car, (laughs) stand up and say, Oh, that's, that's built for me. But then, you know, when they're climbing into the actual spaceship, you probably have like one person show up. I think you would have a lot of people. There's a, there's a show, uh, that's filmed that was filmed in Canada called I think it was called Alone or something like that and they would drop off people in actually on Vancouver Island which I consider to be a, a garden paradise of of 
of food that you can just pull off of trees. Um, and they have to survive for as long as they can. And whoever can, can survive longest wins some prize. And within two months, they all start to go crazy, right? That they are cut off from human society. They miss their friends and family. They're sick of eating bugs and they just want to go home. And we romanticize the adventure of it. But the reality is very much different from the from our romantic notions. And I think it's, it's, it's a similar thing of like, why do we think the apocalypse? Like, I think we think the apocalypse is going to be kind of cool or zombie, the Who zombie apocalypse. Is be something. Lots of people think that lots of people yeah. romanticize <laughs> the idea of the zombie apocalypse, that 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 the world will be wiped clean and they're going to be the survivors and they're going to triumphantly um you know, hack their way through armies of zombies, but it will just be a horror show. If such a thing were to actually, the reality of it is just like, take what we're going through with the, with the coronavirus pandemic times a, a million. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think that it's the, and there are opportunities right now to test yourself, to find out if this is the kind of thing that you really are, that this is what you like. You can go to Antarctica. You can go to the Arctic. You can go to well, and there's also programs out there trying to mimic this thing that you can sign yeah. up for. There are different Mars habitat kind of scenarios where I think Russia was the latest one I saw being advertised, where you could sign up and NASA yeah. was looking for people to go do this thing. So you can even really get extreme about it and do it that way. So. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that's great. I mean, I think the more we can learn about ourselves, I think the the better we are. I I've definitely. I, I always have these romantical notions of like, oh, it'd be so cool if I could learn this skill, right? And then, but I would just sort of like dream about it, but but it never actually execute on it. But more recently, uh, I've I've forced myself to just take this rubber, you know, this rubber hits the road approach. Oh, you think you wanna you wanna try to cook food? Well, okay. You cook food try to well. cook food, <laughs> right? Yo, you oh, you want to cook something? Yeah, you wanna, yeah exactly. <laughs> you want to you want to learn to be a woodworker? No problem. Here you go. Here's a saw. Here's a you know. Here's some woodworking tools. Get to it, Fraser. Build something. Oh, mm -hmm. not entertained? Are you not entertained? <laughs> right? Oh, was it yeah. hard? Oh, was it hard? Is this stuff collecting dust? Have you moved on to? Have you gone back to playing video games now? Well, maybe it's not a thing you wanted to do. Maybe it's just a thing that you said you wanted to do. And I think that a lot of this stuff is falls under that category. Maybe, and maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm the one who who has these dreams and aspirations. But but actually, you know, when I actually have to do them, I realize they're a lot harder than I wanted. Yeah, I think I, I forget. Uh, I think it was Malcolm Gladwell was saying, you know, to be an expert at something requires ten thousand hours of effort um, to put into it. And of course, the number I don't recall how he came up with that number, but. Yeah, man, you're looking at a lot of work to become an expert yeah. at something. If you if that's your goal, you better get started. Yeah, I have a sailboat that hasn't seen the water in two years. Oh God, I, yeah, sailing was a big thing for me too until I got married. Then it went away. I was going to yeah. sail the world. And yeah, I exactly. Yeah, well, that'd be great. And I yeah. was ready, man. And yeah. Then I got married, and I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. But even so, like even like even she was into it as much as you were. You know, just the like you're heaving on the deck and you and your food has gone bad and the power doesn't work and the toilet has been filled with seawater and doesn't work and now you're there's a big storm coming your you way you haven't had a shower the, you haven't had a shower yeah you're like you're literally the Bahamas in won't let danger. you in because you don't yeah. have the right paperwork and yeah yeah you can't yeah you can't get in you know and you're in or you're in mortal danger and suddenly that romantic notion of you dipping your toes in the in the blue ocean uh, starts to starts to fade away to the reality of what you signed yourself up for. So maybe yeah, and that's, maybe a that's good all example it is. because of the there, there's a whole group of people, like, you know, cruiser couples, people that travel the world in 40 foot sailboats and smaller. Uh, it, it's a good example of what we're talking about here. These are people who have made the decision that they want to explore and be voyagers here on Earth. Uh, and really challenge themselves. And many don't make it past the first year, but some do and they thrive yeah. and they're doing quite yeah. well. Uh, that would be a, a, a couple or a group of people well suited for getting on a rocket ship and going to Mars. Yeah. Sign them up. Yeah, yeah, they are they yeah. are used to that that the danger is a constant presence in their life and so on. But even like Dustin, for you, like you had this romantical notion about what you were gonna do with your life. 
but you still tested it out. You tasted it, right? You came to the West Coast and you and you sort of tried to figure out what it was like to be involved with a, with a telescope company. Yeah, and honestly, it wasn't it wasn't the plan. It would for me, it was really about just chasing the dream of chasing astrophotography, you know. And so, yeah, but but you're right. I mean, it was just like you have to go in and see before you're ever going to really know if it's something that's right for you on the things you think you want to do. Sometimes it doesn't take it doesn't take any guessing. I know I don't want to go to Mars. I know I don't want to go to the moon either. You know, I don't want to get I don't want to strap myself to a rocket at all. You know, I I feel <laughs> yeah. like my life is fine without that. I don't feel like that's missing. I know a lot of people would love to 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 get shot into space and be weightless and all of that. It's like no, that doesn't it doesn't sound fun and not Wait nothing about Hold on, hold on. Seriously? So like if if you knew it was 100% safe, you wouldn't take like a like a single orbital flight that goes up around the earth and comes back and lands say 2 hours later? Uh well sure if it's one hundred percent safe but that's like okay well if safe. you knew that Mars was one hundred percent terraformed you wouldn't want to live there it's like well sure <laughs> yeah sure of course yeah. of course yeah. yeah if we make the situation the exact opposite of what it is then yes I'll take it <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay if we yeah, want to yeah. really just just bend it all around yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to test the waters to really know. Uh, for me, it was a good leap, and it was a big leap. Um, mm-hmm. But but I think that, you know, going to Mars, going really just climbing onto a rocket in general, it is, um, it's a bigger leap than any other decision you can possibly make with your life. Yeah. I, I don't you know, know if you've had this experience, Tony. Uh, you know, every astronaut that I talk to, people always want to ask them, you know, do they enjoy the flight? And they never do. And yeah. they they are some of them like some of them are test pilots, and they are they are all deeply aware of the dangers that they're in, and they have seen personally or from their friends dying how what a dangerous experience this is going to be, and they're grateful to survive. And yeah, they are them, mm-hmm. well. What what astronauts are at their core are experts at risk management and understanding the risks and uh, being able to prepare for them. And yeah, I don't think I've heard a lot of people say much positive about the launch part, but once in orbit, then yeah, you know, the, the, or, the overview effect comes into play, right? Everybody's like, you know, seeing the earth from a, a, a height that very few people have seen, then it changes. But yeah, the flight itself, not so much. You know, it's funny because <laughs> I'm sitting here um, thinking about this topic and one of the things that I guess is true that I didn't realize until just recently is that most science communicators, Fraser, myself, and then I've also heard Isaac Arthur and others, all seem to have this rather pessimistic view of space travel and going out and colonizing <laughs> the stars. And yeah. I always thought I was by myself on this. I always thought, well, yeah. you know, but then, but then I was doing a stream the other night on YouTube last week, actually or no, two weeks ago, and a, and a commenter goes, you know what, it'd be me, my my positive attitudes about traveling in space versus Tony and Frazier and Isaac Arthur and all these. I guess we all look at this the same way. Uh, why do you think that is, Frazier? Why do you think, is it because we've we've thought of this through? I mean, what, uh-huh. what do you think <laughs> yeah. the reason for that? What kind of question is that? Is it because <laughs> we, we're just smarter? They think about how, like, yeah. what we talked about at the top of the podcast, how great yeah. this would be to do, but that's as far as it goes. Right? I think that, that like many people, I it's a journey. And I started being excited about space and astronomy because of science fiction. I watched Star Trek as a as a child. Uh, and then I, I was, I was there for the launch. I watched on TV, the launch of the first space shuttle back in 1981. My dad was a big fan. He had watched the, the Apollo landings. And so I was very, uh, very enthusiastic about space. And I absolutely, if you, if you talk to 10 year old me, I was certain that I would be living on Mars, but science fiction drags us in, but science fiction also just fills our minds with nonsense. That that like of course the the actors get to walk around in anti gravity because it's a lot easier to film a 
a TV show when everyone just walks around as, around as if they're walking around on regular earth gravity and you just make up some kind of nonsense word about the, about the grav plates uh, yeah. to make, you know, but really you just, you look at oh, a show like You don't the have ex- those? You don't have no, but plates? you look at a show like The Expanse where they actually do try to mimic what it's like to have zero gravity. You can see some person is having to think all the time, what about their hair? What about their what yeah, about their exactly. jewelry? Yeah. What about their right? They 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 put a pen, everything's gotta have a magnet. Every time they touch a they touch a cup down, it's gotta make a clunk noise so that people know that a magnet is being engaged so that it doesn't float around. Like like it is a lot more complicated. And so science fiction we has informed our expectation of what space exploration should be like. It has told us that you hop into your spaceship, you fire up the warp drive, you teleport down to the planet, you talk to the natives in English. They look like us. <laughs> talk to right. them in English. <laughs> it's true. Right. Right. It's so true. That, right. Or you or you walk through the Stargate. You, know, you just take a quick little stroll. I like walking. And suddenly you, know, you go from one place that looks like like Vancouver's the, you know, the the forest around Vancouver and you go to another place that looks like the forest around Vancouver. That's that'd be lovely. Um, and so our head has been filled with nonsense. It has gotten us inspired, but it is also um, to just to just to be, to be interested in this field at all. And so as you start to learn the reality of what it actually is going to take, the reality of how complicated these subjects are, how much we are, the, the forces and the speeds involved and the, the level of technology to just to be able to do even the simplest things, you have this incredible appreciation where, where yeah, you, you learn that NASA has developed a new kind of toilet that actually works. You're like, this is it, like Nobel Prizes for everyone. Uh, because mm. you know that, and yet that's never really considered in Star Trek. How what a what a sense of accomplishment it must have been the first time someone was able to make a toilet work in space. So, so I think it's just science fiction drags us in. But then if we are in it for the long haul, then we have to grow up. Is and we learn about the reality, and then suddenly now we're excited about the about the re, about the truth. We're excited about the new discoveries, the accomplishments, the 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 each incremental step about how we learn more about the universe, how we are able to to create better technology that allows us to exist in space for longer. And so I think that's the journey that that I think each one of us goes on. It's just that we've been living this in public, right? Yeah. For most and people, that, I hope that, that, they... that was a good answer. I, I, I think you're, I think you're right. I, that was, I, I, I guess I, sometimes I, I tend to be in a bubble and I just think what I think. And then, and then, you know, it's just, I don't see how this is going to work. And yeah. then, you know, it's, uh, and then, you know, I guess it's just sort of a natural consequence of this, you know, going through and making all this content and doing yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what, so, you know, why don't you just use the warp drive? Well, cause warp drives aren't real. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah, that's right right so okay well why don't you well, why don't you use well, your stargate what? also stargates real. aren't real yeah why right. can't we just why don't you just go to you know alpha yeah. centauri at the speed of light well because yeah. we can't um because we can't yeah yeah what we and what you know anti-gravity not real so yeah. so you know it certainly makes the, it more challenging yeah exactly you know <laughs> every time that science fiction has dealt with a a challenge that has essentially make the entire story impossible. They just, they just wave it away. Transporters. Anyone? Yeah. 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 With magic. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I don't know, Dustin, you started out when I first met you, you started out being quite positive about all this. Are you still positive about space travel and getting out there? I am. I am. Yeah. I'm not one of you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> let me make this clear right yeah, now yeah yeah no no i am uh unyieldingly optimistic about all of it honestly i i think that we will find a way to do it if we want to do it we will and i think that it is important that it's not me i don't want to go i don't want people to go out of sequence i want us to to have a smart plan because it's just it there there aren't many mulligans you know, mm-hmm. so you don't you don't get a lot of do overs here. So you got to have a really smart plan because this stuff is expensive on a level to the cost or to humanity. It's so expensive, not just, you know, not just like a company. It's it's so incredibly expensive. that It's like if you're doing this, you're not funding research on something else. You're you're 
you're having to choose this. So I want it to be a really smart plan, but I think there are things you can't learn being a tourist. And there will be people out there that are willing to do it the same way they were the oceans. I mean, people are willing to live on submarines, you know, and there's just so much you're going to learn by not being a tourist and committing a life to it that you would have never learned otherwise. And I think your analogy, Tony, of the of the people who live on the boat, like the ones who can go year after year after year and they travel the world and they love it. That's the kind of people who will be will be are a closer approximation to the kinds of people who are going to be ready. And and I think what you said, Dustin, is exactly right. Here on Earth, not enjoying your your sailboat, sell it and then get an apartment. Mm-hmm. Not enjoying your time on Mars, well, that's just too bad because that's where you right. live now. That's yeah. right. <laughs> You're not exactly. coming back anytime soon. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and even and I if think you I, did, the cost is tremendous. It's not a cheap. It's not a cheap ride. You know, and I think that's the thing is that when you're talking about how expensive it is because it's on the cutting edge of technology and we we burn so I mean, the fuel once it's burned is gone. And I mean, it's like every piece of it is expensive, both in time and, you know, financially. I just think it's something we really have to be prepared to think every single step through, you know, almost as a planet. Not just, you know, I'm glad these companies are doing it, but when you're talking about Mars, I mean, it's the greatest challenge humanity's ever faced. But is it, I mean, is it just a a factor of time? What is on the cutting edge today, what is incredibly difficult and fraught with danger becomes easier and easier and easier and eventually fits well within the safety parameters that you would need? Like a hundred years ago, you probably wouldn't have set foot in an airplane and now you do it without thinking because it's safe. It took us thousands of years to get from stone pyramids to a light bulb. And then in only, you know, a very short time, we're standing on the moon, right? So I think that, yes, like the the time component is it's going to happen very fast. Now, I think all of this stuff, we don't have to, we don't have to think this is going to be thousands of years in the future. Like the way that technology works now with everything seems to be, you think it's going to take a year and somebody releases it tomorrow. You know, um, or, you know, and maybe that's an exaggeration, but that's, I do think that this time component is, it's not going to be what it used to be. Now that you've got people that are pushing this stuff, I think things will happen quickly. Mm -hmm. But do you think that, that living on Mars gives us any kind of value that isn't living um, on Earth? Well, yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that for one thing, I don't know. So what is what is the uh, protection on Mars? Like we have the magnetosphere. It has to have its own uh, magnetic protection. But how strong is that protection? And is that something it doesn't have any at all? Almost non-existent. It has a little bit of protection from the atmosphere. And there are some spots on Mars that have a little bit of magnetic protection. But essentially, it's zero compared to Earth. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, again, you can find that stuff by going to the moon, right? You can find out the long-term effects of just being exposed to space by going to the moon. But I compare it to, you know, on the simplest level, going to the beach or staying inside. If people had decided to always stay in shade, we never would have known the effects that the sun can have, especially the long-term effects that the sun can have on us, even through our atmosphere. But... You know, not being exposed to these things, we don't really know. And I mean, for extended Mm -hmm. periods of time, it's got to be a lifetime. But isn't that going back to it being a science question? Yeah, that's where the value is. I think, absolutely. But this stuff starts with science and then ends with, you know, lifestyle choices. But it starts with science because it can't exist without the science there. Right. And so I guess that's, and and again, I mean, I think that it is a a matter of, of timing that, that, People are are excited about the idea of a million people living on Mars within the next 100 years for for their own sake, for just the fact that that 100 people live on Mars. They live in a live on a city that isn't on Earth. Yeah. And and that (laughs) that doesn't seem to me to be a good reason to go is to just like have a place that isn't Earth, to have a city that isn't Earth. Although it's kind of like I'm like I'm half intrigued by that idea. 
because it is a scientific question, which is, can you have a, can, can you have a city that doesn't exist on earth? And, and so I think they, that I feel like whether it's going to be on the moon, whether it's going to be on Mars, whatever human presence is going to be in one of these places will, will end up being the size that it ends up being based on in a similar way to that we see communities on Antarctica. Like people have tried to create uh, towns in Antarctica and they don't survive because it's inhospitable. And it sounds exciting in the first to, to, to conquer a new continent. And then after a while, people just want to go home. And so I think that we're going to end up, whatever is the amount of people who need to live on Mars to be able to do the science and to answer the questions that we have seems to be the scale that we're going to have. And uh, I would just want to add to that. I think that one, one of the reasons people always want to go home is they've got the context of having lived, lived on Earth first. One of the things that's very intriguing to me is the idea of a generation ship where there are generations on board that don't have that frame of reference to call back on and go, I just want to go home. The only thing they've ever known is the generation ship. So would yeah, they but that, want like, to go that's back? A, but isn't that like almost like a crime against humanity? Well, that's, right? that, I had a great philosophical discussion about on my on my Tuesday stream about that very thing. Yeah, like you what know? is my purpose? Oh, your purpose is to is live to in continue. this tiny capsule and to and to have babies so that yeah. three generations down the road somebody can set foot on another planet. And not only uh, that, but welcome. you are, you must procreate. You yeah, must. welcome to the, the universe. This is yeah. your job. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it's, I, the moral questions are are terrible, but yeah. you know the. The the idea, though, of this frame of reference, you know, I just want to go home, you know, changes with something like that. Uh, but it is a sense of scale, too, right? Like, 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 that's what our job is here on Earth is, is that it's just that the, our spaceship is bigger. Yes. And our generation yeah. ship is bigger and it's not going anywhere. It's just going I mean, around be, and around. Yeah, you and could around. always make the case. No one asks to be born. But right. Uh, you right. Know, it's, it's and the then conditions under which they're born. It's, and once you're here, what is your job? And right. so, what is your, and yeah, so we, so like? we live on a generation. It's just that we have a very big generation ship. Well, uh, you can expect other, other people to have a, a much smaller generation ship, but, but you can imagine a generation ship that takes say a, a 10 kilometer sized asteroid, hollows it out and starts to use it, starts to consume it as they tr pass from here to a nearby star. That's not quite the horrific lifestyle of just being trapped in a tiny little ship. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. So again, I, I think I was it's just a matter of size. That, yeah, I was making the case that if, let's say you, as an example of a three-generation ship, it takes three generations to get somebody. The first generation makes the choice to go, so they're all gung-ho about it. But that middle generation, yeah. you know, wow. And then the, the third generation gets there, they get to enjoy the fruit of everybody's labors, and, and they get to enjoy the victory. But that middle generation, wow, it sucks to be them, right? So so yeah, it was. Uh, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, but then isn't um, that us? What the middle right? generation? Yeah, we're the middle. Like we and everybody who came before us, except for that that first human ancestor that decided to that that created humans. Um, the rest of us have been the middle generation. Yeah, on that this we are going. We call Earth. Yes. Yeah, the spaceship Earth, and that we are carrying Earth on to whatever is its next generate next its destination. Yeah, and that's where I think the crux is. It's more. It's less of an issue of you're you were born into this and you have requirements, but really, what are the conditions under which you're born? I think it's crucial yeah. in answering. Yeah, this. how much does um, it suck? Before we run out of time, can we drill down on something a little bit that Dustin brought up about this idea of space travel not having many do-overs, and you know you don't get many mulligans, and you need to have a good plan. What do we think about the current plans out there? What are some of our favorite plans? We've got several at, uh, on a table. We've got one from Elon Musk. He's got a plan. We've got another from Jeff Bezos, who's got his own plan. And NASA kind of has a plan, but it mostly wants to build an economy uh, in space. What do we think about these plans? Do we have, and, and Richard Pranson just wants to start a space liner. Um, yeah. What right. Do we think so, about I mean, these I plans? think. Are they good? Well, when you look at the plans, the plan is when we sort of compare back against that that opinion that we've been expressing throughout this episode, the, the Elon Musk plan, we're going to build a city on Mars. I don't think a city on Mars is the thing that Mars needs, nor does humanity need. 
but 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 we definitely want to have some kind of human presence on Mars, and SpaceX has built is building the system to be able to do that. So I think we will end up with with as much humanity on Mars is appropriate. And if there's any extra humanity going to Mars, hopefully they will be able to come home. That's the plan. Mars, Elon Musk says, free trip home if you want one. If you're willing to pay the $100,000 ticket to go to Mars, you'll be able to come home. So so I don't know whether a, mil, a million people on Mars is the right idea. Jeff Bezos's plan is to try to push as much of the heavy manufacturing off of Earth and out into space. And I love that idea in Me principle. Too. Um I think that's great that we know for sure that the one thing that's best about planet earth is that, is that it's the best place in the universe for life. And, and, and every time that we pollute it, every time we spill oil, every time that we release toxins, throw plastic into the oceans, we are, we are messing up this one place that we have to live on. So I wholeheartedly agree with that, but it is a, it's a long game to, to is, build factories in space right yeah. yeah 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 but he's you that know. way i mean he did the same with amazon so he's sure, kind of that he, they got that nature yeah elon musk is merely saying dig underground on mars and try not to die and, <laughs> yeah. and i'll and, be behind and, you every step of the way yeah and jeff bezos is saying let's move everything that pollutes planet earth out into space and then let's have earth be excellent that's a that seems like a big that's a big ask, but it does seem more sustainable in the long term because then again, it'll mostly be done by robots. We'll enjoy the the riches that that sprinkle down from the sky, and hopefully, we'll have a much better living conditions here on planet Earth. Uh, with with NASA, they're just focused on the, on getting setting up that science about about learning and about. So I don't, I don't for NASA, it's not about creating an economy. They it is want in part to, the human space flight is that's what they say. Well, I, that only they, because that's like slightly what's been added to the to the system this time around to make it even affordable for NASA to do it in the first place. But I think that we're going to see we're going to see like we have humans going around and around in the International Space Station. We're going to have humans going around the moon in the in the deep space gateway, we're going to see a, a permanent human presence on the moon as we learn and eventually a permanent human presence on Mars and NASA will figure out a way to get it done. And they will take advantage of everything that SpaceX is doing and everything that Blue Origin is doing to make that job easier. But they're focused on the science, not focused on trying to live for live sake. So I, I, I'm a fan of that as well. So I think if I had to pick one, it would probably be NASA. If I had sort of the model that I like the best, but NASA paying for inexpensive flights from SpaceX and, and Blue Origin. Yeah. 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 Not trying to build their own ridiculous, uh, complicated rockets, but just paying, paying freight with providers to, to, to achieve their science goals. Yeah, I think they've got the right approach there. I really do. And it's working. I mean, they are able to do, you know, with SpaceX doing what it's doing lately, uh, they're able to get into space a lot cheaper than if I think they had tried to do it themselves. So the, I think I think I agree with almost every. God, this is really scary. I think I'm I so sorry. I've never seen this before. Say. You two agreeing is weird. I'm uncomfortable. I know. I know. Well, like, did we kind of agree on the last one too? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's one of these. I think it's. I think yeah, it's just yeah, been in to, it too I'm long. Ask Fraser to marry me in the next episode. Yeah, we've so. just been in it too long, man. We've just been <laughs> we've just been in the in the trenches too long. <laughs> Yeah, I've it's, seen too much. So. Yeah, we've got the thousand yard stare now. And Dustin's just, just fresh face. He's only been going for a couple of years now. So, you know, we'll see in the, we'll see in another couple of decades, Dustin, and you'll just be like, Yeah, uh, Mars is the worst. Black holes, black holes are awful. Mars is the worst, and there's no aliens. Okay. Well, what so uh what are you working on right now, Fraser, that we should tell our listeners about before we close out here? Are you uh you got anything you want to let people know about? Oh yeah. Well the I mean the thing that we're most excited, of course, is the virtual star parties, which That's we're right. going a full steam ahead thanks to Dustin and our good friends at Oceanside Photo and Telescope. And that was the like that was the linchpin to this whole thing. Back in the day, we had um you know, we had these virtual star parties like seven years ago, and every time we would we would do these star parties and then people would be very enthusiastic and then eventually they would have bad weather and equipment failures and then we would just gas out and then we'd be like sorry everybody it's canceled this week again because of because weather right who who tries to organize a party 
when they need both technology and weather to to uh, to, to cooperate. Work. I know, <laughs> right? But uh, but Dustin has just been so gracious with the with the telescope with these observatories that now we have this bedrock of fast, good telescopes, and the quality of the star parties is just through the roof. It's just incredible how good they are now. We're going, we're capturing images. Sometimes we'll show off 20 images more in an hour and it goes fast and we got great explainers. So it's been so much fun. So every Sunday night on my YouTube channel, come and join us and we will show you the night sky. Yeah. And I think that I'm going to actually start uh, for the Sunday night streams that we're doing on Clear Skies Network. I think we're just going to push that way because I watched last night. It was incredible. Um, how much could get done in a single night and how many people were engaged. And it was just, uh, I mean, it's just a huge star party with five, 600 people at a time. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had, I think at one point, uh, someone raided the Twitch side with like 8,000 people. And that was kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, and again, I literally could not be, I, I would not be doing this if it wasn't for OPT. So thank you, Dustin. Hey, we're happy to. We're happy. This is exactly what we want to see happening, sharing uh, sharing space with people. All right. Well, great. I guess we'll end it on that very positive note. I want to thank Fraser King for taking time out to join us on our Space Junk podcast. And on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I want to thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up. Space Junk is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com.